G'day, you're listening to The Virtual Staff Room, and this is Episode 10, Open-Minded. I had an interesting email a couple of days ago from a guy called Rob Ruberry, and Rob's a teacher up on Bribey Island in Queensland, and um, Rob was asking about uh, the use of open source technologies in education, and he uh, mentioned particularly a thing called Joomla and uh, Mambo and Moodle, all strange names but with very interesting applications to education. And uh, Rob knows a fair bit about this sort of stuff, so he suggested coming on the show and, and having a bit of a chat. Um, about the same time, I happened to uh, hear from another mate of mine who teaches down in uh, uh, the Anglican Grammar School in, in Sydney, southwest of Sydney, um, down near Camden, a guy called Jason Hando. And Jason is also somewhat of an expert on uh, these open source uh, technologies. And so I thought it'd be really interesting to get these two guys on the show and have a bit of a chat about Joomla, about Mambo, about Moodle, about how they apply in education. And I guess uh, the bigger question of where does the open source software movement fit in terms of uh, schooling and education and, and what should schools be looking at in terms of uh, dealing with all this stuff. So I think you'll find it's a pretty interesting conversation this week. Um, it does geek out a couple of times in places because uh, we, we try not to make it technical, but you know we're talking about software. So uh, there are a couple of places where I guess um, we kind of geek out a little. So forgive us for that, but I'm sure you'll find the conversation stimulating and interesting. And if you don't know anything about all this open source stuff, this is uh, probably going to be a great introduction. And if you do know something about it, I'm sure you'll find it interesting. So enjoy. I'm sitting here today talking to two teachers. Uh, I've got Rob uh, Rubery up in Queensland. Hi, Rob. G'day, Chris. How are you? And I've got Jason Hando. Jason's down in the Camden area in southwest Sydney. Hi, Jace. How are you going, Chris? Excellent. And uh, let me just explain where this conversation is coming from today. Uh, I got an email from Rob in Queensland uh, a couple of weeks ago commenting on a previous episode of Virtual Staff Room where uh, I had been talking to a colleague of his up in Queensland, uh, Michael, and um, we had a little bit of an exchange over email. And Rob suggested that a great topic we might like to talk about on the, on the show is uh, the use of open source technologies like Joomla and Mambo and even Moodle in, uh, as a solution for schools to be able to easily manage uh, either the creation of websites or the, or the management of content or even uh, all the way down to complete learning management systems. So uh, both Rob and Jason have a bit of a, a background in these areas. So I thought it'd be great to get these guys together and have a bit of a chat about um, how these technologies can assist uh, educators to do what we do even better. So uh, I'm just going to throw it over to Jason first. Uh, Jason, I thought, can you just give us a quick overview of what actually um, some of these technologies, and in particular Joomla, uh, are all about? Sure, Chris. Um, I'll start off with Joomla. Joomla came from Mambo, the original version of Joomla, and uh, both of these uh, systems are essentially ways to create and manage websites and uh, people call them content management systems which is a good term CMS uh, however I think essentially people could just think of them as ways to create a website and then once the website's created they can uh, use Joomla and, and Mambo as a, as a tool to uh, add and refine the content on the website 
and uh, it's they're just two extra tools that are on the uh, I suppose you would call it the open source landscape uh, available to schools that lend themselves really well to what schools generally do with with uh, respect to the internet and trying to communicate information to you know everyone from parents to students uh, to teachers and even people in the community. Yep, that's right. Every school seems to have a website and um, it's a matter of having an easier way to manage it. Um, Rob, mm. can you just give us a bit of uh, your your take on the situation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Jason's done a, a great description um, on, on Joomla and on content management systems. Um, certainly uh, for me and my experience with the Joomla sites we've had here in, in Queensland is that... Um, that uh, content expiry is a big plus. Um, yeah. you know, we're constantly having schools that are chasing their tails, trying to keep content up to date, and that expiry, being able to set an expiry date on content items is certainly a big plus. Um, the ability there to, to be able to, um, to modify things um, without needing to know a whole range of, of technical web-related um, Issues, I suppose, or being able to deal with um, sophisticated software and programs to be able to yep. to manage your website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, basically, the the beauty of of something like Joomla is that uh, anyone with an internet connection can can basically work on your site, provided they have adequate permissions to do so. Yeah, that's a pretty good description of it. Um, just for you know, I'm sure we've got people who are listening to this who are going, oh, I kind of get that. So I'm going to give you my perspective on it, and that is, uh, you know, every school seems to want to have a website, and they use it to com- communicate with parents or to, you know, just basically you know, advertise what they do or that type of thing. Um, and I know in the past at schools I've worked at, because I've ended up being the technology guy, it's always fallen on my shoulders to, you know, make the school website. And so over the years, I've done it with FrontPage, I've done it with Dreamweaver, I've done it with PageMill, I've done it with all sorts of different technologies. But the big problem with most of them is they're essentially static technologies. You've got to, you create a page, you put information on it, and when that information changes, uh, generally me or whoever's the web person has to go on and manually change all that content, and that becomes a pain in the neck. And uh, as you guys will probably attest, what typically happens is you end up with lots of pages that just get out of date because it's just they just get forgotten or people don't change them or people forget to change them and you know pretty soon you've got people coming to your website to look stuff up and it's either irrelevant or out of date or you know hasn't been updated since 1997. And un- uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, Chris, um, you know, humans being humans judge us on, on, on what we don't have up to date and not what we do. Yeah, so, exactly. um, you know, parents and community members quite often see a couple of things out of date and then they'll bypass the website and say, no, it's always, it's always outdated, so, so why would I bother going there sort of thing. Exactly right. It's a so, very much a first impressions thing, isn't it? Exactly. And it also affects the way that your website performs in search engines. Yeah. Uh, if search engines are crawling the web all the time and they can they can tell when a web page is static for a long period of time, it'll drop down the list easily. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, the, the school I'm currently teaching at, we have a web page, of course, and, you know, I, I made it uh, a couple of years ago and has some content on it, and it's essentially not changed since I made it, and, and that's a bit of a problem. And, you know, it's got a little, the usual stuff, some information about the school and some information about parents, you know, who to contact to come to the school and once a year they give me a little piece of information and say can you update this the fees have changed or the uniform shop has you know changed its opening hours or whatever and you go and change those couple of things but that's pretty minimal stuff 
what you guys are talking about with technologies like Joomla is a website creation back-end technology where you don't have to really know how to make a website. You just have to be able to go in and manage the information that's on that website. Yeah, essentially it's like working with Microsoft Word. So uh, any article on the Joomla site has a, when you log into the front end, has a small editing icon next to it. And so if I was someone working in the office of a school and I had permission to edit articles, I could just click on the editing icon and I'll get a little box that looks just like a, a Microsoft Word document with a lot of different buttons like bold and underline and left and right justify and a few things like that. And I can just change the text. I can move graphic around if I want to. I can change what graphic's shown and hit the save button and, and the changes are saved in the system. And depending on my permissions, they are either committed to the public web page or they're waiting for someone to approve it. Yeah, I like that feature. I like the idea that it, there's a workflow involved, that I could go in and change a page, but someone else has got to go and approve it before it goes live. That's a great idea. And, and Chris, tr trust me, from our end, uh, principals really like that feature too. Yeah, I'll bet. And, and I've often felt enormous responsibility, you know, because they say go and make the web page, and you sort of sit there and you go, well, I don't want to go and run around and just have to okay every single sentence I write on this thing. But by the same token, I also don't want the responsibility of... Um, you know, being the content creator, uh, because when things go wrong, then it all falls back on me. So, um, uh, yeah, I really like that idea that you could con you contribute content, but then it has to go to someone to approve that content. Great idea. Yeah, well, that's built into Joomla. It's not an added feature or anything. It just comes standard out of the box with that feature. Yep. Yeah, and it's interesting you say out of the box because it is—it's a web technology, right? So you just—and it's free. So you just go to the Joomla website and just download a copy and install it and. So, you know, so yeah, it's not not quite as easy as that. Um, <laughs> we wish, Chris. We wish. <laughs> the, the easiest way I've installed it is through the cPanel uh, Fantastico uh, series of scripts. Exactly. Yeah, I did that the other day. It was so simple. I went in, clicked the button, said "Turn this on," and bang, it was on. It's great. But yeah, but a lot of schools it, have their Fantastico own server. Fantastico is a lovely feature. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to pay for that Fantastico feature if you want to download it and uh, have it running on your server. Right, right. Whereas, uh, so you're saying that because schools generally host their own sites, that they're not going to have that facility necessarily? No, but it's not that much harder. I mean, if a school has its own web server, then it knows a little bit about that sort of thing. So it's not hard to generate uh, you know, the files that you need and the database uh, that will run it in the end. And it has its own little automatic uh, script that populates the database once it knows uh, the database name and the database password. So it's not that that hard, really. Yeah. Now, um, uh, without getting overly technical, um, these these things all run on uh, PHP and MySQL. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, Correct. Well, uh, Moodle. You were talking about Moodle before. That runs on a number of different databases. And I've got it running on one of my servers on Postgres, mm -hmm. which is a, an alternative SQL database to MySQL. It's apparently a lot better. Um, I haven't noticed any performance improvement. But uh, other than that, I think Joomla has to run on MySQL. Right, right. Yes, it does. Yeah, I've, I've heard that, yeah. At um, where I'm teaching now, internally, we run a thing called SharePoint, which is a Microsoft technology that I guess is similar but I find it you know, fairly limiting. Um, 
and of course it's not free so the big plus for something like Joomla is that it's completely free and that's so you guys free as at your beer. school you would you would pay for SharePoint um, at your school Chris well you know SharePoint is included in the um, server 2003 license but um, of course you've got to pay for that yeah um, with, with us at Queensland schools um, well we're now you might have heard we're now moving to a MOE a managed operating environment um, Schools will have that. That's all built into the package. So um, SharePoint 3 will be up and running, which has some nice little integrated RSS and a whole range of other features. But, um, yeah, it's, it seems to be a great out-of-the-box um, intranet solution. I think the issues that we encounter, I suppose, is is saying to schools, a lot of schools want to have a uh, all-in-one intranet slash internet website. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, for some schools that might work. Uh, but for the way our network, our EQ network set up, it's it certainly won't at this stage. Yeah, I mean, I think one thing's so, really clear, that, and that is that you know the days of static websites where where a person has to be responsible for going and manually creating pages using some sort of HTML editor. I mean, those days are over, right? Yeah, they're Let, gone. Let's, let's hope, hope so. Let's hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, look at blogs. Blogs are a typical example of anybody being able to write their own web pages. Yeah, so the, the sorts of technologies you guys are referring to are essentially Web 2.0 technologies, right? I don't know. Yeah. Well, in, 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 the, in the sense that you don't have to be the content expert and in the sense that anybody can create content. And so you know, in that sort of sense, they're, they're sort of Web 2.0-ish, I guess. Well, also in the sense that you do have that RSS feed built in. So oh, yeah. you can, and you can also, depending on your site, um, you can feed information in via like a news feed right. into your site as well. So you've got RSS both ways. So give me some ideas. You guys have both had some experience in uh, in implementing this sort of stuff in a school. So, okay, like I'm, I, I need to redevelop our school website at the moment. What sort of things should I be looking or give me some ideas about the sorts of things I could be doing using these technologies? Uh, yeah. Um, for us, I suppose we're a slightly different situation, Chris. Um we're lucky in that for, for any Education Queensland schools, Joomla is automatically installed for us. Right. All we need, really need to do is say, put our hand up and say yes, send an email to our service desk and say, yes, we want Joomla installed. They will do everything for us, manage it all. They will back up everything. They will uh, basically set the whole site up for us with a bare skeleton, and then it's up to schools to... To learn how to drive it, so to speak. Yeah, now you can, um, can customise that with school logos and change the colour scheme and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, you are restricted in that, as Jason was saying before. There are lots of, of modules which are like add-on features to Joomla and components under our build because everything is controlled centrally. Yeah, schools don't have the luxury of being able to choose all the additional features they want installed. Yeah. So essentially, we get uh, a calendar. Um, we get a gallery management tool, which allows us to upload things like um, everything from podcasts to photos to um, multimedia files, flash files, etc., to documents. Um, and then, obviously, all the basic Joomla functionality that we've talked about, like the ability to add content, set expiry dates, etc. Right. So, sorry, J- uh, Jace, did you want to kick in there? Well, I wanted to ask Rob something. Um, yeah, you have access? Away. Do you have access to the back end of Joomla? Absolutely, yes. So, so teachers are able to, or whoever's administrating, um, we have all the passwords are controlled by, like, 
every EQ person has a um, their own email address, so their username and password that they have for that um, controls the access levels. So if you're an administrator at school, um, you would have access to the back end of Joomla. Um, but again, without getting into um, too many technical features, they don't have the super administrator rights. The highest level of rights they have is administrator, which basically nice. means they can install templates um, to change the look and feel and color scheme of the of the uh, website, but they can't add modules or components. Yeah. So it sounds like they can do so, everything except really stuff it up. <laughs> well, well, the issue is around security, um, mostly being that because Joomla is an open source product, um, as you know, uh, anyone can write a third-party app for Joomla, a component or a module, um, and that essentially is or does become a weak point or a security hole, so to yeah. speak. So I think they're pretty keen on controlling exactly what goes on there and, and managing the security side that way. Yeah, right. right. Um, and, Jase, you've done a fair bit of this stuff, haven't you? Because you, you kind of run a, a little thing on the side where you do this for other organisations and, and help them get set up on this, right? Yeah, I... Um, well, I, just I say a little thing on the side. I'm downplaying it a bit. It's actually quite a big thing on the side. Oh, no, no. It's a li- very little thing. It's it's an accident, really. <laughs> Not a train wreck, though. <laughs> um, no, it's just... I, I had some friends who knew I was into technology and they were running businesses and they said, can you build me a website? So when you go looking for the best way to do it, uh, you start with this sort of thing, really, if you know what you're talking about. And so Joomla just stood out as one of the best. I tried a lot of other ones. I tried Zoops. I tried Drupal. Um, I tried a number of different ones, PHP Nuke and a few others. But this was the most intuitive and the one with the most community support. And I think that's something very important. Yeah. Something something I learned from Moodle because I've been using Moodle for four or five years now. And... um, Moodle is what it is because of the community, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I, I know Martin Doogie Amos did a great job to create it originally, but I think what it is today is just an amazing um, testament to what a group of people can do from all around the world. Yeah. So Joom- Moodle Joom started as same. an Australian project. Was that originally Australian technology? Yeah, it was a PhD uh, project uh, for Martin over at Curtin University in Western Australia. Is that right? Because I, like, I, when I was in uh, North America last year in Canada and I visited a friend in Chicago and I walked into her classroom and looked around and they're all using uh, Moodle. And, and I said, oh, I think that's Australian. And they went, yeah, it is. You know, they, I thought it was great. But um, it's just fascinating to see, uh, as you say, what was basically sort of a research project from someone in uh, Western Australia and to walk into a school in Chicago and here it is as their primary method of delivering courseware. Uh, was and you know, I think the amazing, the amazing thing about it too is that scalability. I mean, to think of, you know, people being able to use it on a small site and then universities to be able to use yeah. it as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And the, the main motivation for him was how frustrated he was with Blackboard. He was the administrator at Curtin University of Blackboard. Really, and and he was so, he was pulling his hair out, and he said, "There's got to be a better way to do e-learning," and uh, and that's what he built. Yeah, for for a free product, it is impressive what it can do. That's for, absolutely for sure. Very powerful. So, okay, so I'm about to redevelop a website. What sort of things can I put on there? So the principal can go on, and the principal can put like a, a update their message once a week if they want to. Um, all the people in the absolutely. office, people in the office, if they want, can go on and like you know put a 
an update, you know, the sports carnival was cancelled because of the wet weather or that type of thing. It can be really instant about it with that. Is it um, is it worth us, Jason, just mentioning just the, the basics of security levels to um, to sort of answer the question there? Oh, you could if you want. I think the type of people who would listen to this would like to know some of the features. Yeah. I, I've, I've got a small list here. Uh, that I could go through. I mean, and... when you're talking about that, Rob, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, if I can summarise that, you're basically saying that there's different uh, security levels and so uh, depending yeah, so on which just, level just, you are, depending just on really what you ba- change. Just, just really basically, like, you know, obviously you've got your general public, everyone that's going to see it. Yep. You've got what we call registered users. Yep. Um, for us, that's anyone that has an email address in your school. Yep. Um, and then you've got special users, which would would basically, you know, there's, there's subsets of each of those, but special users obviously have the right to be able to add, edit, or publish content depending on their level from there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Does it, so in, as you does were it saying integrate before, with existing systems? So, for example, most schools, um, well, um, I guess a lot of schools run Microsoft stuff, and I guess they're going to have an active directory with all the kids' names in it. Um, like, does it integrate with that sort of stuff? I believe, and I don't know if you've played much around with um, version 1.5, Jason, but I know it's got a, a lot a lot better LDAP capabilities. Um, but well, we've had a couple of guys just over the past couple of days looking. They're running a, a Novell network, and they've um, certainly toyed a bit with it, and, and they're looking at, at doing exactly what you're describing, being able to authenticate based on the users there. Yeah, because it's pretty cool um, if you don't have to sort of log into systems multiple times. You know, It's really nice if you can have a system where you log in once and you're just into everything. But, yeah, uh, that's, that's very important. That's not always easy to achieve. No, it's not. And you could use Joomla just for as a public website and, and not worry about locking anything away on it. And that's an easy way to, to not have to worry about integrating it with your Moodle site. Yeah, and yeah. Your, it's your Moodle site that really desperately needs to be uh, authenticated because of the number of users that are going to go through it. Sure. And, and that's, that's quite well covered in Moodle in my opinion. In the schools you've worked in before, like setting this sort of thing up, have the 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 Moodle servers and the Joomla servers and stuff been hosted on site? Like do schools generally host this stuff themselves or do they, they host it outside the, the firewall, like on a server somewhere? Yeah, there's a mix of of uh, of approaches. I I personally have my own server uh, off off campus and uh, I run my Moodle site there for 750 users, um, and it runs fine. It's on shared hosting. And that's like and hosted in a data center somewhere? That's right, down yep. in Melbourne, okay. and um, cost me 20 bucks a month, mm-hmm. uh, so it's pretty cheap. Yeah. And, um, and that's been running fine, and it allows me to do everything I want. But then again, um, I, I don't have walk-up access to it, Yeah. And, uh, and there's other features you probably want. And so a lot of schools do have their own server, and there's a company in Sydney that uh, covers over a 1,000 schools, mainly public schools, and they have their own web server that that bundles things like Moodle, Joomla, and other things like, I think it's called Easy School Reports, which is an online reporting uh, package. And they're trying to market, they're they're starting to think about marketing to private schools and so they'll walk. They'll basically uh, send you a server that's pre-configured. You just plug it in. Um, there might be a little, a uh, little bit of setup, but essentially out of the box, it just runs all this web services type thing. Right, and that's to host it internally. 
yeah, internally on site. There's one disadvantage. I the big problem with that though is that I mean, you got to you got to have the bandwidth to do that. Yeah, that's that's a problem. Um, but the other big problem is twenty four seven watch of it. Yeah, like like my one does not drop off. It's had ninety nine point nine percent uptime since I started it four years ago. Yeah, and and that's unbelievable. But that's because it's in a data center. Yeah, and there's professionals monitoring the whole data center. I don't know about you guys, but from where I sit as, as like an IT manager type guy, um, I just keep seeing the infrastructure within schools just growing and growing and growing. And I had a conversation with my principal today, you know, about, you know, some, some work we did on one of the servers. And, and, and she kind of looked at me and went, servers? You know, and I went, yeah, mm. we've, we've got like eight or nine servers, you know. And she mm. went, oh, I thought we just had one, you know. Like, I don't think the people necessarily understand um, – the extent to which the infrastructure in schools really grows, you know, it, it, it well, I don't know, this has been my experience, maybe it's not been yours, but I just find it can get really out of hand. I think most people are happy that they don't know, they just want to see it running and yeah. running smoothly and uh, leave it to a couple of people. Or... <laughs> Mate, I'm the IT manager and I think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, our um our setup I suppose is a little bit different in that just recently uh well, I won't say recently last last June there was a directive for all education Queensland schools that they weren't able to host their websites outside of the EQ space that they were given. Yeah. Oh, so right. this is one of the one of the reasons that Joomla um became a, a solution for schools. So we had a lot of schools that were basically paying outside providers to host their um their sites so to speak. And the crazy thing was, they were given eight gig of space themselves, but they weren't using it. Yeah, yeah. So um, it, it was sort of double dipping, so to speak. So they basically put a directive out that, hey, look, schools, you've got this space, we're providing it for you. You know, you're paying for it with your internet usage per year. Um, let's let's give you some ways that you can utilise this space instead of going outside uh, yeah. to do that. So. Yeah. yeah, and I know every time I go to a conference and we talk about IT type stuff, you know, you you, you really start to realise there's no one size fits all solution to any of this because, you know, no. what you guys are doing with EQ and what the like the Catholic Ed system does here and the Department of Ed does here in Australia and and then the independent schools are doing their own things. Like everyone takes a different approach to managing this stuff, and it's very hard to come up with a one solution that seems to fit everybody. No, that's like, true. I think there is one trend though. I think the business world is leading the way when it comes to outsourcing. Yeah. And uh, I think education's got to catch up. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. I think that's right. I'm starting to see that happen in a few places. And I guess the, the sorts of things you're talking about with this open source software is kind of an example of where that's starting to happen. I mean, essentially what EQ is doing from what I can, uh, what you're saying, Rob, is it's like a version of outsourcing, really. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the idea is we're trying to tie everything into... Um, you know, and and it is probably an, a um, utopian solution, but to tie everything into like a one number suits all help desk. Yeah. Um, so, so that anyone that has issues, instead of having to have, you know, someone with an in-depth knowledge based at a school level and then, you know, set up a site, you guys know what it's like. You set up a, a particular site at a school and then you move on and all of a sudden someone walks in and says, what's going on here, you know? Sure. What, what, how is this set up? Um, that's different to what I'm used to. So I, I suppose they're trying to create some sort of consistent look yeah. and feel. Um, and then, uh, yeah. So if so, if someone walks from one school to another, they've got that consistent uh, 
look and feel to the Yeah, there's, to a, the lot, whole there's a lot to be said for that approach, I think. There is a lot to be said. Yeah, well, look, we, certainly there's there's um, downsides to everything as well. And um, like like all schools, I suppose, we encounter things like our, our internet filtering that um, no doubt uh, you guys encounter as well that, that stops schools from, from getting to some of those... Uh, Web 2.0 resources, etc., that they they want to uh, get their head around. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, it's it's about finding that happy medium. Well, it certainly sounds like uh, the the whole Joomla Mambo. Uh, now, if I just clarify, Mambo um, was uh, originally the project, and then then the development team forked into two different uh, streams, didn't it? Joomla, uh, Joomla and Mambo, and they each went off in their own sort of slightly different directions. Yeah, at the moment, um, they're still sharing, you know, again, without getting too much into it, they're, they're certainly sharing the same code base. So that right. means, you know, you could grab a template from Mambo and use it on Joomla, etc. So Mambo um, still exists as a project in its own right? Exactly, yes. Okay, right. Okay. Um, yes, it does. Um, when Joomla uh, 1.5 comes out, which is in beta release at the moment, when that hits the deck as a full release, that will be a completely new code base. So yeah. after that, um, things will change. Um, but yeah, Mambo as such is still operational, um, okay. and and Joomla as well, of course. Right. Right. Well, I I, I know I'm going to look at it, and, and I, like I installed uh, on a hosted server I've got the other day, and I used what you were talking about before the uh, fantastic Fantastico C panel, is it called? And, uh, yeah. Well, C panel is is the major part of how you administer your web space. Right. Uh, Fantastico is one part of cPanel. Right, okay. Well, I, I know I just clicked into this thing and there was a, a, a series of choices and one of them was um, Joomla and I ticked the box and it said wait right here and <laughs> check back mm. in a couple of minutes and I did and it said your site's now live. So um, yep. from, from that point of view, it was dead simple. Even I could do it. Yeah, so. very easy. I think, I think the other thing too to... I suppose to to make people realise is that um, once that site is there, it's then a matter of you know working around and understanding you know how it works. And I, I think the biggest uh, thing that we find out there in schools is that those people that have dabbled with you know Dreamweaver and Frontpage and the other the um the the other web apps out there um, have a preconception of what a web page is, and and sometimes that sort of gets in the way. Yeah. Yeah, you got, it is completely different. You got more to unlearn. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. a good point. That's right. Very good point. Because the design is separate from the content. Yeah. So if you like you can change a website in an instant just by uploading a different template. Uh, the content stays the same. Yeah. And I guess the, an example, you know, if uh, there'd be a lot of people listening to this who have tried blogging and uh, with services like WordPress or Blogger, you know, where you can go in, you can you can decide to change your uh, theme, and you go and you choose a new yep. theme, and suddenly it all looks different, but it all says the same thing that it always yeah, says. Yeah, that's so exactly it. It's that's this, the same it's, thing. It's this, same uh, thing. this segregation between form and content, which I think was probably the, the killer difference. You know, when the web changed, that was really the big change, wasn't it? This divorce between uh, content and form. I also like uh, the the variety you have in in the Joomla extensions. I mean, people just have to go to Joomla dot org, and uh, which is the main website for Joomla. And they can click on extensions and see that there's in excess of, I think, a thousand uh, extensions that you can wow. look at and download and install. And some of the ones that I've used are just outstanding. Like they just do it so quickly and so easily 
they've been designed by an individual or a group of people who knew what they wanted to do. Like, for example, um, there's one that I use called Chronoforms, and it allows you to basically build a form uh, to have to have as many questions as you like for people to type their answers in. They can you know choose things from a drop-down box, and then they can hit the submit button, and it all goes into the database and is waiting for you to read. Wow. Um, so, in other words, you know, it's, it has a potential to revolutionise the way we collect information in schools. Like, if students want to pick a sport in a school, you know, at our school they have to go up to a uh, a wall that's covered in paper, and they have to write their name on a sheet of paper, which then gets pulled down, and and they get entered into a database. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So someone asked me about this the other day. They said, like, um, we, we do like an activities thing at school once a year, and they said next year when we do this, could we have a form where kids can go to the site and actually just fill in the form, and it goes into a database, and and then we can extract that database out and deal with it. So. This is the sort of thing you're talking about, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one way to do it. There's probably other ways to do it as well. But, um, yeah, it certainly works uh, well for me. I've had it working uh, on a number of different sites to collect data from different people. And um, and the other thing is if you know something about MySQL, which is just a database with tables and fields and records, uh, you can actually grab that data out of there and do whatever you want with it. You can yeah. put it in whatever form you like. You can even have it exported into a spreadsheet and graph it. Yep. Yep. Also, talking about those add-ons, um, we have um, we have a comp- component added to our website, which is called um, Bookmarks, and it's it's a great resource for teachers and students. It basically allows the teachers to uh, bookmark a website and um, have it appear in multiple categories, so to speak. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so that's that's on the the Banksia Beach website and. With that, um, kids can actually rate the websites, like a five-point scale. Again, because oh, that's it's a all writing idea. to a like database. Yeah, because um, everything's writing to a database, it actually pulls up the number of hits, so you can find out, you know, what sites the most popular. And um, it shows a little thumbnail images for your major sites. It shows a little thumbnail image of the site, so kids can get a quick view of of what the site looks like and um, navigate to it from there so for us it's a tool that teachers would go home bookmark all the sites that they're going to use with their kids come along to school use those sites with the kids and then of course the kids can log on to them at home and continue their learning at home as well yeah that's a great idea and especially like the way you just said you can like add ratings and things to that because i think once you add that social network into this it becomes really powerful yeah and and on that on that point uh there's a wonderful uh add-on it's a component called Community Builder, and I don't know if schools in Queensland have this feature, but it, it's no, amazing. No, don't, but yeah, I have seen Yeah, it's quite amazing. I have heard of it. The way people can build their profile, and it's almost like a MySpace for Joomla. Huh, wow. The name, like, where's the name come from? Every time I hear the name, I think of that Robin Williams movie, Jumanji, and imagine these charging elephants. Much. <laughs> it, it's actually Swahili. Oh, yeah. Swahili for what? What is it Swahili for? Good question. Um, I remember <laughs> uh, someone saying it's Swahili for something, but I'm it sure it'll be written somewhere it'll on, be the, on the website. website. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. We, um, yeah, we often think, uh, you know, we send flyers around saying, you know, Joomla workshops or whatever else, and, you know, the first thing people think is that we're swearing at them. So. <laughs> yeah, it means, it means all together all or together. as a whole. All together. As a whole. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice concept.
I, now, when you look at things now like uh, Ubuntu Linux, which is another uh, name, one with an African name, um, I mean, we, we paid our licensing bill to Microsoft recently, you know, and it's, it adds up. It's you know, 20 grand or whatever it is a year just for, this, yep. for the privilege of using Windows and Office and, and a few servers. And it's a lot of money. And when you start to look now at things like Ubuntu and, and you know, you've got these back-end stuff like, like we've been talking about Joomla and Mambo and everything else, you really start to wonder that, you know, is, is there a future in a couple of years' time when, you know, people will really start to question where they're giving their dollars to if, if some of this open-source stuff can be as good or better than, than what we're currently paying big bucks for. I think yeah, for a lot of people, Chris, um, it frightens them, you know. Uh, open-source, it's free. It's, you know, uh, it, it mustn't be good. Why would they be giving it away if it was You, you know, it's no, funny it you said that because a couple of years ago I heard, what's the guy's name, Mad Dog, Mad Dog someone, um... I can't think of his last name, but he's he's a big guru guy in the Linux community, and he was at a, a, a computer trade show in Sydney giving a talk about Linux. And this is way like oh, what five years ago or something. So it was kind of a bit new to me. Uh, and he was talking about why the enterprise would take open source software on, you know, because if it's yeah. free, how can it possibly be good? And if there's no one company responsible for it, how can it be good? But I tell you, after listening to this guy talk and giving all sorts of uh, insights into things like, for example, you know, when when a, when a, I won't single Microsoft out because everyone's the same. But I mean, you take a piece of proprietary code like that, you don't really know what's in it. You don't know how well it's written. You don't know if there are bugs in it, and if there are bugs, whether you're hearing about all of them and when they're going to get fixed. And but when it's open source and everybody can see the code. Um, it exactly, actually, you're not hiding anything. You're not hiding anything, and it's no programmer wants to put their name to crappy code, and so yeah, right. people yeah. who write that code actually do the best job they possibly can do. And if it's not great, someone comes along and makes it great. Um, open source makes enormous sense to me, more so than the proprietary model. I, I yeah, think it it's that whole philosophy too. With that, it, it's like the Web 2.0 apps. You know, it's bringing a community together. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it, it, it really does focus on the positives. Rather than that, you know, um, oh, again, not mentioning Microsoft, but you know, the the um, one company out doing another, yeah, so yeah. to speak. So. Yeah, and, and look, I'm not yeah. singling Microsoft out because you know Apple's the same, and 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 you know, there's, there's tons of companies out there who, who all have closed code, um, although some of Apple's is open. Um, but yeah, it it makes enormous sense to me that this idea of open code. And I mean, I, I suppose I should throw in there really quickly. If anyone's listening to this who doesn't really understand what this term open source means, it simply means it's software that the uh, the underlying code for that or the source or the source code for that software is freely available, and anyone can come in and look at it, and change it, and whatever, so long as they make those changes also freely available. Um, and and that's really a hugely powerful. Uh, community approach to building software. And I think you've only got to look at, um, like, you know, when Netscape was king of the browsers and then uh, Internet Explorer came over and, you know, I think there was lots of reasons why Internet Explorer won that battle. But Netscape would have just died completely had the company not given it over to the open source community and said, hey, guys, here's the source code, go and do what you want with it. And that became Firefox. And you look at what Firefox is doing now and... It's enormously powerful, growing much faster than Internet Explorer. Yeah, it's amazing how um, I was listening to The World is Flat on audiobook today. Oh, yeah, It's a yeah. Book, book by Thomas Friedman. Yeah. Um, and he's talking about how Apache came into being. Yeah. And, and basically, these people were dissatisfied with the way the NCSA 
which was the standards body um, for web servers at the time, and a company, I think, that came out of Illinois University. Yep. Um, they were dissatisfied with their progress on a, on a decent web server with decent patches that made it stable and, and working. So they just basically said to them, do you mind if we build our own? And, and Illinois said, no worries, as long as you, you know, uh, reference us as the originators of the original source code, which they did, and that's part of open source. Yep. And away they went, and they made Apache, and, yeah. and and they made something that was better than uh, what Microsoft was trying to do at the time. They were trying to come out with their own web server. So was IBM. So these massive companies with billions of dollars worth of assets couldn't build as good a solution as these just these uh, part-time. You know, well, you know, it's, it's, it's one little phrase I remember from that speech that I heard Mad Dog give, and that was, you know, it's pretty hard to hide persistent bugs when there's a hundred thousand pairs of eyes looking at the code. Yeah, you know, like it's just, it's just not going to last. It's going to get fixed. Yeah, that's and, it. And, and it's amazing. that same community approach, I think, that pervades things yeah. like Wikipedia. Uh, yeah. You know, and Jimmy Wales when he was here the, the other a few weeks ago, you know, talking about Wikipedia. And his underlying message was basically, look, you know, a lot of people don't trust Wikipedia because anyone can edit it. But, you know, your, your, your world view on whether you think the world's full of good people or bad people is kind of going to colour your opinion on whether open source is a good thing or a bad thing. If you think everyone's out to destroy things and, and you know, uh, pull things apart and make them worse, if that's your world view of humanity, then you probably don't think open source is a good idea. But if you believe... People are basically good, and and you know the good guys eventually win. Then you probably believe open source is a good thing. So, I, th- I think it comes down to a worldview. Yeah, I think so too, and it suits education. This yeah. is the thing that I'm amazed that is is how little schools have really picked up on open source software. Yet they have got a limited budget. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, and, and so they could really do with the technology at the rate that it comes at. There's a school in um, Blue Mountains. I think it might be. Oh, I shouldn't mention names, but I think it's Blue Mountains Grammar. I could be wrong though. Um, where everything is open source. They don't have any proprietary software on site. All the workstations are Linux. All the servers are Linux. Everything's open source. Um, so, like they now they probably pay some people to come and look after that, but their actual bill for software is zero. Yeah. Well, there's one added advantage, and that is that you can hand the software to students on a disk or just give them the URL and say download it and use it at home. Yeah. And so straight away okay. you're not just you're not just limited to the classroom. Yeah. Like my students, they walk in, they're using FileMaker as their database in year twelve, um, and, and the syllabus requires them to learn how to build a certain type of database. Uh, they cannot do that at home um, yeah. because it's a, a commercial software that costs a lot of money. Yeah. Sure. And so with open source, you just uh, circumnavigate that problem and, and you make learning uh, more accessible. Yeah. Sorry, Rob, did you want to throw something in there? Yeah, no, just saying um, it's, it's actually amazing. Um, I think a lot of schools are, again, that frightened that if it's open source, if it's free, then, you know, I really shouldn't be putting it on my system because, you know, it, it can't be the best software. Yeah, yeah it is. For, it's a pervasive you know, attitude. If it's free, it can't be good, yeah. Yeah, we. Um, you know, I should point out. Enough, we... I should point out to that though that when Richard Stallman wrote that manifesto about free software, that it was it was free as in uh, the freedom to change it, not necessarily as in free as in cost. You know that when they yep. talk about free software, he means free with the freedom to make whatever changes you want. And normally it costs nothing as well, but that's not really what the word free is supposed to be referring to. So sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there. Go on. 
No, 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 that's that's fine. Um, actually running a, a session at the Innovation Centre today and we had um, just a little session on preparing um, teachers for the managed operating environment and uh, part of the software on there just amazed me. Um, we ran a session where we covered some of the free or free slash open source software that they've got on the system includes, um, you know, EarthenView, your, your batch conversion program, Audacity, which obviously we know. Yeah, um, even programs like, um, you know, Photo Story, which I know isn't open source as such, but, you know, basically free and schools should be using it. Um, yeah, all of this stuff was installed and teachers were saying, I haven't seen this before. I, ha- I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Like, um, oh, are we going to be getting this on our operating system? Oh, we might have to start using this. Um, and it, and for some of them, it was that connection. Oh, well, if Education Queensland is putting it on our computers... Um, even though it's open source, we'll use it now. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's funny. Some people just need that little bit more directive before they start going down that road. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been an interesting conversation. We sort of started out, uh, you know, fairly specific, talking about Joomla and, and a few other specific products, and we've sort of opened up into this idea of open source generally and how it applies to education. But I think it's been a worthwhile conversation having because it's, it's, it, it does hold enormous promise, I think, for schools. As you say, they're on tight budgets and they want to do a lot and this is one way of trying to achieve those ends. Definitely. I think it is. And um, there's people who are really pushing this, like Steve Hargadon, who does his own podcast. Uh, I think it's called EdTech Live. Okay. Uh, yeah. you, can get it, you can get it through the iTunes Music Store and online. Yeah. Um, but he, he's a big proponent of open source and one of the things he's looking at and, and he's installing it in schools, uh, thin clients that run Linux. Uh, so in other words, you've got a, a, an open source operating system called Linux. You've got old computers, um, which it doesn't matter because the, the server's the most important thing in a thin client network. Yep. And, um, and so students are able to do web browsing, they're able to access Google Documents, they're able to use things like GIMP, for graphics, yep. um, you know, all Moodle, Moodle sites to do quizzes and to do forums and blog sites like Blogger and so on. And I hate to spaces. say this, I hate to say this, but you know, like we, we, we decided not to, uh, we lease our computers at school and we decided not to roll them over this year uh, because they were still going fairly strong and we thought we'd get another year out of them. And a, a couple of people complained and said, why didn't we roll the computers over? And when I look at it and think, you know what? Mostly in the classroom, you do a bit of word processing and browse the web. And, That's it. You know, I know there are some really adventurous teachers who go beyond that. And they try in all sorts of interesting things, and some of the media classes are doing some cool stuff. But by and large, the integrated, and I'll use this in, in quote marks, you know, the integrated approach to ICT in the classroom involves the internet and a word processor. Yeah. Um, and computers are getting cheaper. I mean, you've got $200 laptops coming out. Asus just launched a $199 laptop, and you've got the one laptop per child program. Yeah. I think the revolution will be um, when it becomes accessible for all students, and they all have regular access to it. So it's not just integrated, it's embedded, yeah, it's yeah. Invis- invisible. Absolutely. I think we live in exciting times. Um, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us today. I think uh, this has been a really worthwhile discussion. No problem, Chris. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, yeah, likewise. You're welcome, Rob. Thanks for suggesting it. So um, uh, I guess we'll, we'll cut it there. And, um, and uh, But I, I'm really pleased with the ground we've covered and, uh, and the sorts of uh, issues that have come up. I think they're worth, worth other teachers starting to think about this stuff, even if uh, we did kind of geek out a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> we are geeks, aren't we? <laughs>
<laughs> Always happens. Yeah. So, uh, Rob, thank you very much for joining us. Not a problem. And uh, Thanks, Rob. all the best nice with your Joomla endeavours, Jason. Yeah, same with you, mate. Good luck. Good luck up there. No problem. All right. Catch you later, guys. Bye. See ya. Okay. Thanks. Bye. The whole point of the virtual staff room uh, podcast is uh, this idea that you, as a teacher, you sit in a staff room occasionally and you'll sit and have interesting conversations with your colleagues. And uh, what we're trying to simulate here online in a podcast is that same kind of thing. So if you've got something you'd like to talk about, uh, something educational, something related to technology, uh, why don't you drop me a line, do what Rob did, just send an email to uh, chris at virtualstaffroom.net and let me know what's on your mind and uh, maybe we can organise to get together online somehow and have a chat about it. Um, I'm sure it would be uh, of interest to tons of other people. Uh, it's always amazing the feedback I get from uh, these little podcasts and the people who find them useful and interesting. So uh, it makes it really worthwhile. Um, if you've got any thoughts about what you've uh, heard on this episode or any others, please go along to the website at www.virtualstaffroom.net and leave a comment. I've um, had to turn the commenting uh, um, protocols uh, to be a bit stricter lately because I was getting a lot of comments spam, but uh, hopefully that's died down a bit now, so I will uh, try and relax that a bit more. So um, please, if you're having a bit of trouble leaving a comment, uh, please persevere. We We do love to get comments from people who have listened to the show. And uh, and we'll we'll endeavour to work with that. So um, appreciate your thoughts. Well, that's about all we've got time for this episode. So I guess until next time, my name is Chris Betcher, and you've been listening to the Virtual Staff Room.